Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Golshevsky, paediatrician and father of three. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Golly and the Experts. Each episode, I'm joined by a parent who has faced an enormous challenge in raising their child and come out the other side as the expert. When people think of the term stroke, one usually imagines an elderly person, face drooped, physical function impaired. It's pretty common. It is tragic. It's sad. But it is associated with the aging process. It's certainly not something we ever associate with children. But this is the story of today's expert, Denton Pugh whose four-year-old son, Rocky, was suddenly hospitalised where the family were told he had a lump in his brain, but on further investigation they found it was something else entirely, the extremely rare case of childhood stroke. Four years later, Denton and his wife, Clea, continue to grapple with the aftermath of this unique challenge, and given the limited research available, it's been an unpredictable journey for the family. Denton, thank you for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks, Dr Gully. Before you tell us the story of that day, that day mm. that's seared in your memory, tell me about Rocky Pryor. Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, Rocky Pryor, I'd say, would, was like any other boy. And I would have to say our firstborn was a girl. And so I was really used to having that first child as a girl. And Matisse was very perfect in the way she ate and the way she organized things. And she was very polite and and then Rocky comes along and he's just a, a ball of energy. Like a um, hurricane. Completely different, you know, changing nappies, things are flying everywhere and spraying everywhere. And, <laughs> um, you know, he was completely different. And I must say, I, you know, that initial bond I actually struggled a little bit with, I have to say, having the girl first and then having the boy. And, and in between those two, we actually, we lost our second girl at about 22 weeks as well. So... It was a bit of an emotional journey, but I think after a few months, we were really, really happy that we had Rocky as our second boy. And then it was, how old was he when this episode happened? So he was about four and a half. So um, you had Missy. Matisse, yeah. No, Matisse first, yeah. then Rocky. Then Rocky. Then, then Missy. Missy. Matisse would have been six when Rocky was... Uh, four and had his stroke. And then we had Missy who would have been two. So she was two. So you, the, the point I'm making is that you had your hands full. hundred <laughs> percent. Any parent knows. So you've got three young kids, very yeah. close in age, career on the rise. I mean, tell everyone what you do. You, uh, yeah. So I'm i I'm an executive at the NAB at the moment. I run the small business bank across Australia for the metropolitan areas. So it's a big role. I've got heaps of staff across Australia and, um, lots of customers. And so that certainly keeps us busy. But I think reflecting back at that time, um, I can think through memories of both Claire and I struggling to get to work in the morning, having three kids under five, um, both working full time in really big, you know, senior positions, trying to get out of the door, get dressed. And then our amazing angel mother-in-law would come to the door and we would rush out at 7.30. We would work a full day and then we'd rush back to the home at sort of 6, 6.30 and try and relieve my, our amazing mother-in-law, Pat, and then try and spend that time with the kids, that witching hour, if yeah. you like, <laughs> juggling dinners and book times and bath times and all those sorts of things. But, you know, just, again, that was a real juggle and both of us working full time and, yeah, it's, it's as any parent will know, it's um, sort of different layers of load on your shoulders, if you yeah. like. 
and it all tends to hit at once. You know, the the worst point of mortgage and trying to climb the career ladder for Correct. both of you, and then of course young kids. So life was going along well, chaos but controlled chaos. Right. Everything That's was right. good, and you were in a meeting. You were giving a presentation, and you got a phone call. Yeah, so it was. Well, let me take you step sort of back one day and Rocky was complaining of headaches. And so, you know, lots of kids complain of tummy aches and headaches all the time. And so he had a headache for probably a day or so and we'd give him some Panadol and seemed to be okay. He didn't show any other symptoms at the time. And then I remember the morning, I think it was the Wednesday morning and he came up and just sat at the bottom of the shower while I was having a shower and he said, my dad, my head's really sore. I said, I'm really sorry, mate. And I remember taking him down and putting him on the couch and I gave him some Panadol and then he was, he was sick. And I said to Clea, something's not right here. And she said, let's book him and take him to the doctor. So we took him to the doctor and she was amazing. She checked him all over. She was really thorough. She said, Do you know what? I'm not sure what it is. I think it might be of a sinus pressure let's give him a really strong course of antibiotics. I want to take two now, one in the afternoon, go get his eyes tested. And then if he doesn't get any better by tomorrow, maybe go and go to Cabrini or go to the children's and just get him checked. And so went and got his eyes tested. His vision was fine. We sat him on the couch and he just spent the day at home. And the next day I had uh, an important board presentation. I remember being at on Collins Street, sitting around this room with very, very important people doing a board update. And uh, just as it was my turn, as my colleague was finishing his presentation, my phone buzzed with a message and I looked down at my iWatch and that's the danger of having an Apple Watch these days. And it was from Clear and it said, "Hun, Rocky's got a lump in his brain. And, you know, from that point on, our, our world completely changed. You, you you got this message not knowing that she had taken him to the hospital or uh, why she took him? No. She took it upon herself to take him to the children's and they put him through triage and they'd done a CT scan and they saw a big white circle and a couple of little circles in his brain. And um, the neurosurgeon started to talk to Claire about, listen, we've found this lump and we're not sure what it's all about. So I get that message Rocky's got a lump in his brain and you can imagine you just go into this state of shock and panic and all of a sudden, literally simultaneously, <laughs> the chairman says, oh, Denton, over to you now. And <laughs> It's like f- f- watching a movie. It just doesn't seem Correct. real. And I think because I was in that shock, I didn't know what else to do that other than start presenting. And so I started to present. I presented for about 10 or 15 minutes around the business that I was running at the time and and then I paused and they said, oh, we'll just take a short intermission. And I walked over to my boss at the time and I couldn't speak and I just showed her my phone and you just see her, the colour from her face drain her jaw open and she said, you need to go now. And um, I remember running down to the taxi, getting into the taxi on Collins Street and just going towards the children's hospital. Talk me through, like, each detail. You, you walked in, where... Yeah. Where was Rocky and Cleo? So Rocky was sitting in emergency like in a bed and um, I just saw Claire and she gave me a big hug and one of the neurosurgeons came in and said, listen, we found a lump. We're not sure what it is. We can't tell how serious it is at this stage. All we can say there's a lump there and we need to do an MRI to discover what's 
really going on inside Rocky's brain. And where does your mind go? Oh, <laughs> straight to the worst thing that people can do is um, Dr. Google. Yeah. Um, brain tumours in toddlers, you know, four-year-olds, mortality rates, like awful You're just things going like straight yeah. there. Yeah. So all the different types of tumours that he could possibly have, what are the chances of survival, etc. And, you know, you just look at this kid and yesterday everything was fine and then today it's like, wow, you're sort of contemplating, um, you know, the death of your own son before your death. It's just unfathomable. And so the next 40 hours were like a real roller coaster. Rocky was sort of categorised as not an emergency MRI. So he was put on a fast but then kept getting cancelled off the list. So this is because in an MRI you have to be absolutely still, which yeah. you cannot tell a three- or four-year-old to do. So they Correct. actually have to be put to sleep and have an anaesthetic, which means to protect the airway because when you have an anaesthetic, you lose all of your protective mechanisms. You can't have anything in the stomach. Correct. So they're fasted, which is torture for a For toddler. a four-year-old, yes. Yeah. And then, you know, I think it's the combination of going to a hospital as a four-year-old, not being like that before, being poked and prodded. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really traumatic for a four-year-old and he can't probably express what he's going yeah. through at the time. Was he, was he in increasing pain? Was he vomiting? Was he symptomatic? No, I think they gave him some pain relief at the time. And the scary, strangest thing was he wasn't that symptomatic. He had no signs that he'd had any sort of illness other than a headache and feeling a bit sick. I literally took him out to the playground for a little while in the children's hospital for a bit. And so you're staring at this kid going, you look relatively normal, but I know what I've seen on the CAT scan. Mm. It's just a out-of-body kind of experience. So we sort of were put on the list for an MRI. And yes, he'd absolutely have to go to sleep because of the way the MRI that they want to do. We got then cancelled. So then he was allowed to eat. We stayed overnight. Next day, um, we're awaiting again. Then we got bumped again, ended up being sort of the afternoon of the second day where we finally got this MRI. And who's, and who's looking after Matisse, Missy? Who's, <laughs> who's managing the rest of the, of the life? Our angel, uh, Pat. Pat again. So Pat was there looking after the two that were home and they were really, we didn't really know what to say to them. And I remember I was actually looking through some of the photos this morning and I remember seeing this sort of cut out of a piece of paper with a big love art saying, you know, we... We love and miss you so much, Rocky, from from his sisters. And um, so for some reason, I, at that point in time, had this sort of internal feeling that said, I cannot leave this hospital without my boy. And so it was quite this sort of shift between me sort of taking over the control of this situation, which normally if you <laughs> meet Claire or ask Claire, she probably takes that role most of the time. And so it was quite a strange thing, but I just felt compelled that I have to be here for him. Anyway, so we finally got enlisted to do the MRI. Um, he was put to sleep with, with the gas, and um, which is an experience in its own, just walking out with your son, you know, put to sleep, and then he goes into the machine and you sort of just sit and wait. And I never forget the moment where all these people walked into um, the hospital room and it felt like about 10 people. And they walked in, they said, hi, you know, it's Dr... Neurosurgeon, we're here to tell you that your son actually doesn't have a brain tumour. He has suffered multiple strokes over the last few weeks and we will now pass you over to our neurology team. And Claire and I were just like completely in shock. What do you mean he's had a stroke? He's four. What did a stroke mean to you prior to that? 
older person Old has a stroke, you know, side of the one side of the face goes numb, they go into rehabilitation, they've got to learn to do a lot of these things again. The you know, I remember you know, my grandparents having strokes before they passed away, for example. So complete shock and you know, it's so vivid in my mind, the walk from his room to the recovery area after the anesthetic and the head of the neurology department at the time walked over and sort of gave us some more detail. And I remember standing there with Claire and she added some images on the, on the screen and she said, yeah, your son's had multiple strokes in the last few weeks. And Claire's like, few weeks. And I just remember Claire just sort of dropping to the floor and I just went into this, so tell me exactly what's happened, how has it happened, what's caused it, what are the chances of him, you know, is he going to survive, all these things. And she just literally said, I don't know. She said, your son's had a stroke either through most likely a dissection of his arteries. So the arteries that run up from your heart up through your sort of the side of your spine into your brain, uh, the cerebral area of your brain, which you know a lot more about than I do. And she asked questions to us of saying, has Rocky had any large falls in the last few weeks? And Claire said, actually, he did. He fell off the, the big tree climbing apparatus at the, at the park and it was quite high he fell off. And she also then said, has he been to see a chiropractor in the last few weeks? And she said, yes, after the fall, we took him to the chiropractor. And she said, did he manipulate or they manipulate his neck? And Claire said, yes, they did. And at the time, they didn't know what had caused the strokes. And the MRI that we had done did not show categorically that it was dissection or it was caused by inflammation. And so Rocky, the next day, had to go through some more procedures, um, an angiogram where they insert a tube in his groin all the way up to his heart and a spinal tap where they take fluid out of his spine and some more eye tests to see if there's inflammation within his body. Another set of procedures, another general anesthetic. And every another. time you're going down the rabbit hole of Google and... 100%. Yeah. And I remember I got sent home one night and I was driving home in the car just going far out. This is just... How is this happening to us? It was awful. Um, but anyway... We walked into a room after the angiogram and we saw a different doctor and he's like, oh, there's been some changes. And we're like, what do you mean? What's, what changes? What's, what's happened? And again, we're all like thinking the worst. He's like, oh, the doctor will come and tell you, but there's been some changes. And so you're getting all this mixed information as they find out more information. Monday morning comes and uh, Mark Mackey walks into the room with his sort of entourage, if you like. This is a neurologist doctors. at the Children's Hospital. Yeah, so Mark Mackey's the, the head of neurology, paediatric stroke specialist at the Children's. Um, he's the most educated around this uh, in Melbourne, if not the country. And we met Mark Mackey, who's extremely knowledgeable in this area. And he said, listen, I've now got all the results. I'm going to be taking charge of looking after Rocky from here on in. Rocky has had a multiple strokes in the last few weeks caused by inflammation within his arteries that flow from his heart up to his brain in multiple areas. And what you can see from the MRI is big sort of dark patches of dead brain cells where the, the blood has stopped flowing to those areas and that part of your, his brain is now dead. Those cells will never work again. And um, 
that's it. And so the immediate question you then ask is, what's caused this? Mm. And he said, the reality is we don't know. It's a very rare condition where something has got into his body like a virus of some description and his body has reacted to that virus in a way that has inflamed his own arteries, causing his own body to give himself a stroke. And we were just, it sort of seems incomprehensible that this could happen. He said it could have been a chickenpox virus, it could have been a random virus, but they ended up going testing for 27 different viruses and nothing showed up as to why. So... Again, the next, re- the next question is, you know, how likely is it to happen again? What's his chances of survival? What's going to happen to him? And he said, the good thing is that Rocky's not showing symptoms. We're going to put him through some testing around his cognitive abilities, physical abilities, and then we're going to treat it with the strongest anti-inflammatory that we have, which is steroids. So Rocky um, proceeded to go on a five-day IV line of strong steroids and... <laughs> You're going, oh, great. We've found out what it is. He's now on some treatment. You know, maybe we're uh, past a little bit of this challenging part, but no, oh, steroids is um, with steroids. a whole nother level. And it was, I remember speaking to some of the nurses at the nurse station uh, where Rocky was, was staying and she said, oh, you know, you hear a lot of that screaming and yelling in the middle of the night. That's actually roid rage. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry? He's like, yeah, it gives some kids real roid rage. And it was within... About 10 hours of Rocky having the steroids that we started to see our own. This is a very high dose. Yep. High dose prednisolone. And it got to the point where Rocky became quite aggressive, quite agitated. He actually ripped out his IV line. He wanted to go home. He didn't want it anymore. He didn't like people poking and prodding him and being put into rooms and having to have needles and awful things like this. And it was like really difficult to see and to, and to watch. And, and were you um, with him the whole time? The whole time. I would not leave his bedside. I think I got sent home one night and I was back the next morning and I just, and I have to say my work was just incredible. I still, um, you know, I'm so grateful for some of the people at that time that just said, we've got you. You just do, you just be there 100%. Everything else's work can wait. This is more important. And it was just, you know, those people that did that for me, you know, I'll never forget that. So Roid rage continued for four or five days. I think we ended up getting four days of the five in and then... Couldn't get any more. We couldn't get any more. Um, we couldn't get an IV line in him. He was just so traumatized. And every time we tried to put it in, he would twitch and it, we just couldn't get it to work. So it was too traumatic. And um, we ended up just going with the uh, through through oral, um, The I think there were some drops that we had. Um, and so we did that for the next sort of six weeks from home. So... That was a that was an experience. And tell me how he changed physically, emotionally during that long ongoing steroid treatment. Yeah, he, it's like he got super strength. We'd have to give it to him in the morning, sort of six thirty in the morning, because if you didn't give it to him early, then potentially he wouldn't be able to sleep at night. And he would just have so much energy. And at times, Claire was saying, "I, I literally can't control him." I remember taking him to a park. And he was four at the time. And before this, he couldn't do the monkey bars. He literally was going forward, back, up and down like he had super strength. Became what I would describe as a tiger. Just quite aggressive at times, quite emotional and really huge reactions to situations. And we weren't sure whether that was the steroids, whether that was the trauma from the hospital, whether it was just him being completely out of control. But that did persist for some time. 
as the steroid use sort of dropped over time, we were sort of coming up to Christmas time then, and I think it was just after Christmas where he completely came off it, and we started to see some reduction in that aggression. But I remember one day coming home from work and Claire just being like, I, I just can't handle it. And I sort of picked him up for a cuddle and I put him out the back and I locked the door and then I played soccer with him for like two hours. He just had so much energy to try and distract him and get him out. But it was an extremely challenging time for us as a family. And I think the the focus all of a sudden became all about Rocky. And in some ways I sort of was dedicated to him and probably let my attention and focus be on him. And then probably the girls suffered as a result of that. And I think, you know, that's probably true today as well, where I'm so protective of him. I so worried about him and uh, yeah, he's my boy, right? What about Claire? I think again, Claire is probably the more, emotional, nurturing, caring side. It was, it was extremely difficult for her as well, for both of us. I think it caught us both by surprise. And I think clear at the time, having raised three children already, um, under five, working a big job, losing hope at 22 weeks um, through, you know, having to deliver that, deliver her and go through that horrendous process that we had to go through and then having Rocky... I think we're all in a bit of, you know, despair and uh, Claire actually got to the point soon after that whereby she said, you know, I think I'm completely burnt out and something's going to give. So she made the really courageous decision to go on a career break for a year and she stopped working. And that timing was quite good because with Rocky kind of recovering from the strokes and Matisse at school in the prep year and she just felt like she just had to be there, mm. had to be around. And so that was really good timing because then you, you think about all of a sudden you're in 2020 in March and April and then COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a curveball. And so it worked out that that her stopping work and being really present with the kids at the time. And I think our first way of, and now Claire's actually a psychologist by trade, and she's a practicing psychologist uh, now has quit her corporate career and is, is helping others navigate their own mental challenges at the moment and absolutely loves it and is amazing at it. And I remember at the time us saying, well, I think we need some additional help here. So we actually went and sought out a child psychologist ourselves just to speak to someone about how can we navigate these big sort of emotional outbursts we're getting from Rocky. And we spoke to this amazing lady and she didn't, didn't want to meet Rocky she said, I'm not interested in meeting Rocky. I just want to talk to both of you. And she was excellent. We probably saw her for five or six months and she just gave us some really practical tools around looking after ourselves, which was a foreign concept for me yeah. at that time. And the girls as well. Yeah. Looking after the girls and, you know, talking about being inside our window, a window of tolerance and what we can do to try and grow our window of tolerance and be inside it and recognizing when Rocky's outside his window and what we can do to support him. Um, she talked to us about being storm riders, which is the concept of when a child is going through their amygdala's flipped and they're out of control. They can't hear you. They can hardly see you. They're not logical. They're in meltdown. They're in complete meltdown. And your natural tendency is to meet them at that energy and that level. That's where, that's where your gut grows straight away. Mm. And so your ability to hold 
and ride the storm. Because if you meet them where they're at at that point in time, the storm goes along for a lot Oh, it will only escalate, yeah. It escalates. It goes for longer. So our ability to be there, be present, model calm, and ride that storm through to be able to role model, hey, it's okay to have big emotions. It's normal. And I think I learned, you know, personally about self-care, about integrating exercise, healthy eating, good sleep patterns to be the best parent, you know, leader, dad that you can be. If only I could convince more parents to prioritize their own health, physical, mental, because there's no doubt a lot of my patients have their child's best interest at heart, but sometimes you have to put them second for them to get the best. 100%. Which is a hard concept for parents to, to really get their head around. And both clear... The benefits of, I guess, living with a psychologist, I watched Clea through that period of the, the career break. She actually did a little project to put herself first for a little bit each day. And she come up with the concept of first best, which is her business name. And I guess I learned a lot from that too, by prioritizing your own self-care, even if it's for 15 minutes or half an hour a day, at a, when you can integrate it into your life mm. and then the benefits of that on you as a parent. And my philosophy is if you're not your best for yourself, you can't be your best for your son, daughter, employees, colleagues at work, wife, husband, mother, father, etc. And um, I think that's a mantra that it's sort of part of my leadership mantra now and part of what I would you know, advise everyone to do. Right? Let's go back to the moment where you were given the final diagnosis. You mentioned before about the blood vessels that come from the heart that feed the brain. There is a security mechanism. So if, for example, you're talking about the major artery that feeds a leg, there's just one. And if that one is interrupted, the leg does not survive. There's a different mechanism with the brain because the brain is obviously so important and there is what we call, there's a circle. It's like a roundabout called the circle of Willis. And so if there is an obstruction at some point, you've got the other end of the circle to feed and provide necessary blood and drainage. People will know of Phil Hughes, the cricketer, talking about dissection, where he, the tragic story of him receiving a cricket ball in the back of the neck that caused that artery to tear. And it was just, it was, went beyond that security backstop. Different with Rocky, he had multiple points of inflammation so I've got two questions for you. What were you told the prognosis would be for Rocky in the immediate aftermath, but also in the years to come? And currently, is that always in the back of your mind that it can happen any moment? Is that, oh, he just winked. Is that another stroke? Mm. You know, he says he's got a headache or he's a bit tired. Are you, are you always on edge about this? So let me start with the prognosis. So post the steroid treatment, we went in for another MRI in January and the prognosis was a bit more positive. So the steroids had worked. It had relieved quite a bit of the inflammation, particularly in the pond area, which is sort of the little arteries had freed up quite a bit. The basilar had freed up quite a bit and the left side was flowing really well, the left artery. However, the right side continued to be really inflamed to the point where we actually don't think there's any blood flow going through that artery. And it's all just relying on the left side. It's running on the left side. So 
what he said to us is there's a working system here. And so he's stable at this point in time. History tells us that for childhood stroke, generally there's a period of about three months where there's instability and then it generally settles down and stays like that forever. So his highest risk of a restroke is in the first three month period. And so hence why every six months we have another MRI. We've probably had four or five so far since the episode. The other part in terms of the impact to Rocky is that as a result of that, he's at heightened risk if he has a trauma in his life, given his right side no longer flows any blood, similar to Phil Fuse, if, if Rocky has a dissection due to a heavy trauma to his neck and that artery is dissected, it is lights out. And so the recommendation is that Rocky does no longer plays any physical sport particularly after the age of 15, whereby the impacts are much heavier. And now, as you can imagine... And you've, you opened with Rocky as a hurricane. You know, he's busy, he's yeah, active. He's busy, he's active, he loves sport, he loves his mates. And interestingly, he's obsessed with AFL. Like, he <laughs> loves the Tigers um, and, you know, he, all his mates play footy. And so guess what? As an eight-year-old, he wants to play football. And so you're making that really difficult choice as to, uh, do I allow him to play as an eight-year-old, knowing that he will not be able to play from when he's 15 and onwards, the risks would be too high. What does Mark Mackey say? What's the advice you're given? So Mark said, listen, it's a, it's a parental choice around what, we, what you do here. I think his recommendation would be, is it risk if he has a car accident, if he has a bike accident, if he falls off a motorbike when he's older? There's all these potential risks, but they don't really know. Every single place that Rocky goes to, whether it's the school, whether it's the holiday program, football camp, football, basketball, we all have to fill out the form in the medical form that says, hey, by the way, Rocky's had a stroke. If he has any neck head trauma, you must call triple zero and call us. Has that happened? We've been called multiple times due to falls at the school, etc. Where do you go when you get that phone call? Where, do you, where does your head go? <laughs> It goes straight back to that place. It goes straight to fear. And we are what I would call platinum status at the Royal Children's because those episodes have happened multiple times in the last four years where Rocky's probably been back to emergency four or five times. You know, he's fallen off part of the playground and split open the back of his neck. He had um, some inflammation in his groin you know, all of a sudden groin pain, couldn't walk properly, back to the emergency to investigate why is there more inflammation in his body, what's causing that. Had a terrible earache a few months ago where it was so painful, he, he was screaming in the middle of the night, back to RCH, because you're on tender hooks, mm. you're on eggshells, you feel do, like... Do you and Clear feel like you can't just go to your GP? Like no. it's it's a level up. We just, and it normally happens obviously at night time. Of course. Claire's great because she's quite risk averse and conservative. I'm like, oh no, he'll be okay. Let's wait in the morning. She's like, no, we're taking him now. I'm like, okay, I agree. Yep, let's do that. And so I, I can think of three or four times where we've just gone, you know, whether it's two o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock, you're better off to be sure. And he has a scan every time? Uh, it hasn't had an MRI every time, but certainly they're fully investigating him, you know, through the COVID period. We were so frightened he was going to get COVID and that was going to cause inflammation because, again, on the internet, you're seeing people getting COVID overseas and that can cause causing yeah. issues with blood inflammation or inflammation. And the vaccine? 
the vaccine, again, huge fear of ours, is the vaccine going to give him a stroke? Is not having the vaccine going to give him a stroke? Is COVID going to give him a stroke? But we met this incredible individual (laughs) two years after I think we left the RCH. Our phone rang one day and it was Sean from, who's a child psychologist who works at the Children's. And he's like, oh, you've just got to the top of my list. And we're like, well, we didn't know we're on the list. Oh, yeah, you're on the list. So Rocky's had, you know, comes with the hospital stay. Afterwards, he's had a traumatic experience. I've read the file. I can see the traumatic experience he's had. We're going to start working with Rocky. And Rocky, um, in the first session, this was not for us. It was for Rocky as well. And so he met with Rocky mostly over Zoom because it was through COVID. And he talked about the ladder. And the ladder is this exposure therapy technique where Rocky draws a ladder and then at the top of the ladder has to be the thing that scares him the most. What's his most biggest fear? What worries him the most? And he said, mummy and daddy dying. Okay, great. What's underneath that one, Rocky? What's in the next part of the ladder? And he said, being put into a room at the hospital and held down and had needles or having the gas mask. I don't like that. That's my biggest fear. I hate needles and I hate the gas mask and the taste of it. And so we then, it went down from there and there. And so the idea is that you start at the bottom of the ladder and you start to reframe those experiences. You expose the the child to that experience. And the idea is you work up to the ladder. And, you know, Sean had some beautiful techniques around introducing those really slowly in Rocky's, Rocky taking control, Rocky Mm. making a plan. And Rocky's each step, language. Rocky's language. Mm. We would draw a plan up on a bit of paper. We would draw a story of his stay at the hospital and we'd play it back and work through it all. And this sort of went on for about six or nine months and we were able to go and meet Sean. And I remember Sean, first time Rocky met Sean, he kind of, I think, ran up to him and gave him a big hug. <laughs> and, you know, Rocky was really emotional through that period. I remember we got to the point where I remember going in, and sitting at the children's and he controlled it. He had the plan. He goes, okay, I want the buzzy bee. I want the ice stick. I want, I want to sit it. I want it in my left arm and I want to say one, two, three. And then I want, I'll tell her when she could put it in my arm. And it was amazing the work that Sean did to give Rocky control. Yeah. Yep. Make him the plan, rehearse it multiple times. And finally he got his COVID injection. You know, we, we sat with bated breath for the next 40 hours. Is anything going to happen? You're monitoring like you are with a, a newborn on the, on the monitor. You're watching him breathe, like, you know, sleep in our bed, just keep him close. And so, you know, going back to your question, I think it, it never leaves you now. You're all, I'm always on edge with Rocky, whether it's he's had a fall or he's feeling a certain way, you're always reminded of it and nothing more than every single morning he um, takes out an aspirin tablet he knows himself now so every morning we pour 30 mils of water into a cup we drop an aspro clear in it we draw out 10 mils we put it in his drink for the morning and then he drinks it says your constant reminder every day it doesn't leave us does he ask why what happened to me I, I, I recall when I sat down in his room with him recently and said, mate, I'm really sorry to tell you some news, but I want to tell you now that when you're a bit older, you're not going to be able to play footy, mate. Okay. And he said, dad, is that because of my rivers? And I go, yeah, mate, your rivers, which are the, the vessels in his brain, they're blocked. And so if you were to have a big fall or a big hit when you're older, when the boys are big and tough and you're big and tough, 
it could split your river and the, and the river could leak out and it could cause you to be really hurt. Mate. And we don't want you to be hurt. It's not worth the risk of playing. And he said, why has this happened to me, Dad? It's not fair. Why am I different? How old is he having this conversation with you? Eight. And it's funny because that's one of the things that, the, that Sean picked up is I picked up that Rocky doesn't like to be different. When he perceives that he's different to others, he really has a big emotional reaction. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't want to be different. He just wants to be like everyone else. But there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of upset saying, it's not fair, Dad. Why All my other mates are going to be able to play and it's not fair. And I said, I know, mate, but we're going to let you play now. And we need you to be really careful and we're making that tough decision because we know how much you love it. But we can't afford to put you at risk then. And I know it's going to be really hard to understand. I know you're really upset about it. And I wish I could take it away, mate. But we can't. But I think he's, you know, he's, a, he's actually a smart kid. Like he's, I don't know whether that's caused by the stroke or what's something's happened in his brain, but he's really intelligent. Physically, he's really strong. Um, he's doing really well. At athletics and basketball and swimming and footy. He's doing exceptionally well at school in terms of mathematics and reading is well ahead of where he needs to be. So we're so lucky. But I think both whether it's the stroke, because where the damage is in his brain is sort of in his emotional control center, or whether it's the PTSD from the hospital stay and the fact that he's had a stroke. But he's certainly sort of quite volatile in his emotions. Even this morning, looking for some water spray to put in his hair to do his hair, and we couldn't find the water spray. And it was a huge explosion. So physically, there's no deficit. Zero deficit. And intellectually, no deficit. Zero deficit. In fact, he's ahead, a year or two ahead. And so he's lacking the emotion regulation, the filter, the impulse control. 100%. So I would best describe that a situation says, I can't find the water spray to spray some water in my hair to do my hair. His reaction was a 50 out of 10. When most people are like, I can't find the water thing. Mum and dad, can you help me find the water thing? It was like, it's gone. Someone's hidden it from me. Like, and just huge, loud noises, explosions. And it's, you almost have to just stop what you're doing and go and help him to find it. So that's an everyday thing that you're managing as a family? It's pretty regular. Um, it probably goes through phases, but <laughs> at, the most, at the moment it's pretty regular. And Is that affecting him in the classroom uh, socially? No, no. No. So generally, I mean, I think, you know, when he got fouled off at basketball last Friday, they won their grand final, he got fouled off in the last five minutes. It, you know, he was upset, which is pretty normal. But oh, I yeah. think it probably manifests itself mostly at home when he's in his safe space and mm. he can be vulnerable and show emotion. Incredibly common with children. Yeah. So I think he holds it all together. Yeah. He's amazing on play dates. He's beautifully well-mannered and... Everyone says how caring and nurturing he is with little people and at school with all his mates. But I guess when he comes home and he feels safe, he can then express how he's really mm. feeling. And so I guess that is a daily thing for him. I was funny. I was sitting down with him like, mate, you just, I was talking to him about self-care earlier this week to say, mate, when you're feeling a bit out of sorts and you're feeling frustrated and emotion, like, you know, let's write a list of things you might be able to do in the morning or at night, meditation, reading, sitting in your room, drawing, folding. You like origami, you like drawing, you like maths, you like trying to get him to podcasts. 
just anything. Like I think the minute he gets bored, he just starts antagonizing the girls. And well, let's talk about the girls. How have the girls handled it, and what have you and Clea done specifically to help on that journey? Matisse is, you know, firstborn, incredibly uh, bright, responsible, organized, very much like her mother, and just thrives. She's an amazing girl, just incredible, no matter what she does um, in, in sport, in ballet, dance, leadership, incredible girl. But I think she's probably suffered in the fact that Rocky gets a lot of attention. That probably frustrates her a bit. And she's the last one to be put to bed at night often because she's the oldest and she's like, you always give, you know, I'm always the last one. I think she craves my attention and I know that I probably, you default to Rocky because he's the noisy one, he's the demanding one, you know, and she's just, you know, gets up every day, cleans her room, makes her bed, she's just organised. She did all of her work through COVID on Zoom, all over. You didn't have to do anything. She's just amazing. She's an incredible, incredible girl. I think, you know, her and I probably, you know, we've probably got that diagonally opposite personality. And so we probably clash a little bit like, she's a lot like her mum. So she drives me crazy as much as I love her <laughs> and adore her. But so I, I would say she gets, as much as she adores Rocky deep down, but she gets frustrated with that he demands that attention. And I would say as much as she, you know, and I've said to her a few times, okay, I know that he frustrates you and I know that he annoys you. And I go back to, you know, I guess we really worry about him, Bubs, because he's been through all this stuff, right? And I know when he's demanding we give him that extra attention and that means that you miss out a little bit and I'm sorry for that. But I've got to look after him as well, right? So I think I need to be more conscious of that. And, you know, the hardest thing about four kids is the one-on-one time. But they're just, they need it. They love it. Absolutely, Missy is the free spirit. She's the six-year-old now and she's more into her dance and... Um, her makeup and her dress and I don't think she was as demanding for the attention but I think she knows that Rocky was sick and that she played that little special bond role that they have together I think they've both probably missed out on a bit of my attention particularly and Claire's probably picked up the slack there because I I guess have been so dedicated to try and protect mm. and look after this boy and I felt like it's my kind of responsibility and then little Alessi comes along, um, the fourth child that I didn't know that I wanted. And then uh, typical of that situation, she comes out and she just adores her dad. And I call her the stage five clinger because <laughs> she is nonstop attached to me to the point where she won't sleep in any other room. She wants to be literally falling asleep with me with her forehead touching <laughs> my forehead. <laughs> and if I try and sneak out where she's not fully asleep, she's like, daddy, daddy, come back. So... You can imagine, right? Bedtime, four kids, you're trying to get, everyone wants their own attention, their own bed um, time routine. Uh, my back rub, this book read, this audio book put on or get me another banana. I wanted some glass of water. Oh and they're all God. screaming. You're in the middle of the kitchen between the three rooms and they're literally screaming out, mom, dad. As a father of three, I will never complain again. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it so easy. Um, but you know what? Going back to that silver lining, God, we're great. We're so lucky. You know, sometimes Claire and I, I think it was last Friday, like, we're so lucky, aren't we? Like, even though we've been through all this stuff with losing a child or a number of pregnancies and Rocky going through it, but look at what we have right now. And has it changed you? Yeah. I think before, 
children, Cleo and I were working 6.30 in the morning till 7.30 at night. There was no off button. It was just relentless for, for a number of years while we were building up our careers. And I think once Matisse came along, I just felt this internal, something changed inside of me where I, I, there was a greater purpose and I had to be around. And Cleo certainly has the view that, you know, the way that we're going to operate as a family unit is it's equal. No matter who's got a bigger job or who's doing, we all play the role of raising our kids. And I, I think the benefit of having Rocky go through that and facing the potential death of your child, you don't take a single night for granted. Mm. And um, I remember complaining about the noise and the mess about two years ago. And one of my um, work colleagues, who's probably of 20 years my senior, said to me, do you know what, mate? do you know what's louder than all that noise and all that mess? I go, what's that? He goes, the deathly silence when they're all gone. So don't miss a minute. And that really was a reality check for me. Yeah, you miss it when it's gone. Yeah, and I think you're at your best when you realize that those moments are going to evaporate. And when they are having a tantrum and a trauma, you don't, you just park to one side what the hell is going on with you and you just be awfully present with them and you have to adapt to their needs at that moment and then they'll kind of regulate again and then everything will be okay. But I think there's times where I'm sure all of us get pushed to the edge and then over the edge mm. and feel completely out of control. Happens to all of us, absolutely. Yeah. And you and Claire, have you navigated this as a couple? <laughs> oh, wow. It's, um, it's a, you know, I think... Going through all that trauma together has brought us much closer together and you realize you've, you know, you've met your person and your life partner when you can navigate through all those situations and still wake up to it, you know, with each other and just, you know, I, I adore her, you know, she's a very special human being and an incredible mum and an incredible role model for our kids and she orchestrates their environment so that they get they can maximize their maximize, potential. Yeah. They've got great friends around them. And she just does that exceptionally well. And do you know what? I, I, my job might be difficult on days, but her job's equally as difficult. And I would say more important. Oh, yeah. No question. And I think the more dads that realize that, the better. Yeah. So my last question for you, as the expert in the room, yeah. what has this experience taught you? Hmm. If anything, this experience taught me that if you take it for granted, it could disappear overnight. And as hard as sometimes it is to be a parent and raise kids, those minutes and those hours with those special little human beings are some of those precious of your life. And through difficulty and trauma, I think it makes you realize how special those moments are and that I'm grateful that that's happened to us as a family. I'm awfully sorry and sad that Rocky's gone through it, but I'm so happy about the relationship that him and I now have that we'll have forever and the fact that we can, I can be his, his best mate and his protector for his whole life. And I think that's what it's taught me. I think it's, it's also taught me the power of looking after yourself and I didn't know what self-care was. I was at the bottom of the hierarchy of looking after people. And now I have to put myself first for parts of the day, whether it's gym or running or 
whatever it is that's going to meditation to try and put myself in the best frame of mind so that do in during those moments where I'm with my kids, I'm not distracted at work, I'm not stressed and anxious, I'm in the best frame of mind mentally, physically, emotionally so that I can be the best parent or the best husband or the best boss to have a better impact than I would have if I didn't look after myself. And um, do you know what? I actually wouldn't take away what's happened to my family because it's given me a real, you know, it's always a silver lining. And so my silver lining is that I don't take for granted the life of my kids. I don't take for granted the well-being of myself and my wife and my family. And it's brought the bond that I now have with Rocky stronger than I think it would have been had he not had a stroke. Because we are now so close. You know, I always say to him, mate, I'm your best mate. I'm always going to be your best mate. Beautifully put. Denton, thank you so much for joining us. To enjoy more parenting stories like this one, please like, follow, subscribe and share Dr. Golly and the Experts wherever you listen. And just before you go, I have a favour to ask. If you are enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you could rate and review the show so that more people can find us and hear these incredible stories just like Denton's.